Hey everybody, welcome to the Simplicity and Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Josh McAllister. My hope for this podcast is to dive deeper, to learn more about what makes people successful. Um, I'm going to interview people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, working in sports, working in the arts, musicians, the entertainment side of things. Uh, I hope that through these interviews, we can find a little bit more information about why they're successful, what they do to achieve success. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. This is Josh, your host with the Simplicity and Performance Podcast. Uh, Today, I have somebody who has one of the most varied backgrounds of any of our guests. Um, Our guest has worked in the collegiate game. He's worked in the NWSL. He's worked in the MASL, and that's the major arena soccer league. If people aren't uh, familiar with it, he's worked in the United States Developmental Academy, and he's also worked in major league soccer. Um, Our guest today is Josh Williams. He went to Washington State University for his undergrad. He went to Georgia Georgia Southern for his graduate school. Um, I'm really excited to talk to him because first off, I've been fortunate enough to work with him, and he's very good at what he does, Uh, but also I don't think there are many people out there who have such a diverse background in, in the different um, sectors they've worked in. So without further ado, uh, I want to welcome Josh to the podcast. Josh, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. First of all, thank you. And uh, I don't, like I think I've told you before, I don't feel like I really deserve to be here, but uh, <laughs> I'm just going to answer your questions and hopefully someone learns something out of this. Well, well let me jump in there because you do deserve to be on this. I don't know if anybody deserves to be on anything. It's just more about, for me, when I was thinking about who should I bring on this show, I want to bring on people who are working in different uh, jobs within professional teams or collegiate teams, you know, athletic trainers, physical therapists, head coaches, assistant coaches, general managers, players. And obviously you fit the bill there as an athletic trainer, you know, one of the most unsung but important roles within the club, somebody who puts in tons of hours, who has the one on the amount of one-on-one time an athletic trainer has is probably more than anybody within the club. So it, that position cannot be valued enough, in my opinion. And secondly, you know, you've done that role at a lot of different places with females, with males, with college age, with uh, professional adults. You've worked in the indoor game. You've worked at the U.S. Academy. Um, there's definitely something I, I hope we can pull from all those different experiences because uh, I'm a firm believer that experience gives you perspective and gives you, you, you look at things differently. So uh, I definitely do think if, again, if anybody's deserving, I don't know what that means, but you're definitely um, should be on this and I'm excited to dive in a little bit deeper. Awesome. Let's jump in. All right. So first piece, you know, you're an athletic trainer, Again, we've talked about your varied background. Why do you do that? You know, why do you want to be an athletic trainer? Why do you want to be the person who has to get there before everybody else, who oftentimes have to stay later, everybody else who on road trips is treating players all day while the rest of staff is taking it easy in certain moments? You know, you guys put in the hard yards. Why is this something that you felt like you wanted to do? Uh, I kind of fell in love with it um, in high school, honestly. Um, took a sports med class and they brought in an athletic trainer one day and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And they started talking about kind of the medical aspect and working with athletes every day. Um, 
and basically from that point on I was kind of sold and never looked back um yeah it's definitely like in terms of work-life balance it sometimes gets a little tricky but um I I love it you know being the first one there when your athletes are hurt or when they need something and knowing that they can rely on you um is probably the best feeling and knowing that like you said, kind of operating in the shadows or in the background. Um, I like to just get the job done, get your athletes back as quickly and safely as possible. Um, but also, like I said, you get to build great relationships and um, the experiences you get, whether it's traveling, be on the sidelines for games, the experiences you have with your players that you kind of get this joint shared experience. Um, those are things that I will never forget um, and definitely keep me going on a day-to-day -day basis. And is there, you know, what are some of the big differences between working at the different levels you worked at? You know, for example, working at the MLS level, but then working at the NWSL, you know, is it a very similar job or, or are there little nuances that, that differentiate them? Uh, I would say the biggest well, I'd say that some of the differences are, it depends on who your staff are around you. Mm -hmm. um, at the NWSL level, I was alone. Um, we had a strength coach. Uh, we had a high performance guy, uh, sorry, high performance director. We had uh, my very last year there, we had a PT. Um, but mo other than that, it was mostly just me. Um, so in terms of like structure and day-to-day -day breakdown, it depends on your staff around you, but also um, I would say probably the biggest difference is resources, both financial and otherwise. Um, in the MLS, I mean, we had two BFRs, we had six to eight game readies, we had, you know, all the tools and tricks. Um, and same with the college level, you know, we had a lot of the uh, modalities that are on the more expensive side that I just didn't have access to at the NWSL level. Um, like I think my second year there, the league finally bought everyone a game ready because clubs didn't have those, mm -hmm. which I mean, this is 2015, 2016. So, um, not that modalities are the thing that makes the difference for everyone, but it's any kind of little advantage you can have is definitely worth it. And so, yeah, the definite, definitely the biggest difference between all those levels is the resources and availability of resources. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to you about your time in the NWSL, and I know you're proud of it. And you're also someone who really enjoys the league and you're proud of the growth of the league and you're a big supporter of the league. Do you think the league is getting the support it needs and is moving in the right direction? Um, I have a few colleagues that still work in that league. It sounds like they're trending in the right direction. Um, there are some clubs that now have two athletic trainers. Um, they're getting a lot of a lot more financial support. I think that some of the big name players in that league are pushing really, really hard on social media and through other avenues mm -hmm. to push for what they feel is fair and right. Um, I think that for the most part, they would say that things are better. Uh, I listened to a podcast recently with 
I forget who, I think she's the captain at Man City. And she was saying that in her time as a pro, she's definitely seen leaps and bounds. Um, and definitely in the more recent years, the leaps and bounds have been bigger than before. So I would say, yeah, they're definitely trending in the right direction. But I mean, when I started, the rookie minimum salary was $7,000 for the year. And when I say the year, I mean from March to October. Yeah. So if you signed a if you signed a draft pick, they made seven thousand dollars from March to October, um, and then my second or th- second year, I think it jumped after the women's national team won the World Cup. It jumped to fifteen thousand, mm-hmm. which is not great, but for it to double um, was a huge jump. And so I think, yeah, there definitely is some progress and more league standards are getting put into place. But compared to some of the other leagues, I would say there's still still a lot of growth to be had. Yeah, and it just shows you, you know, why those that are fighting and that are those that are vocal, why they are so vocal and why they fight so hard, because I think they're just asked, they're just wanting, you know, standards across the league to be of a decent level. And it looks like it's going that direction, but... I still think there's a there's a lot of work to do just to anybody involved, uh, um, especially obviously we hear all the stuff with U.S. soccer right now. So it's really interesting your take, obviously working in both sides of things, you know, within that role, within being an athletic trainer. And you can you can talk about your time at any of the different places you've been, but there are always challenges to jobs. And anybody that's thinking, oh, I want to be an athletic trainer for a, a major league soccer team or an athletic trainer for an NWSL team. Um, what they need to know what the real challenges are and they also need to know what the real rewards are that way they have a full scope of what what happens when you're within that role so in your time what are some of the some of the the big challenges you've come across and that either you face on a daily or weekly basis or just something that maybe once happened it was just like wow i never thought this would happen Sure. Uh, I can give you maybe one of both. So one of the, my first real big challenges when I got into the NWSL was um, the billing and insurance side of things. Mm. Um, even no matter how much you understand or don't understand your own personal health insurance, uh, I thought I had a fairly decent grasp of it. Um, when it gets applied to LNI workers comp billing issues, uh, I jumped into one head first where we had to get approval for a player who needed surgery out of state with no providers. Uh, it was really, really ugly. And I thought I had a really good grasp on insurance and billing. And boy, was there a steep learning curve. I'll tell you that right now. Um, it took us way too long to get this player surgery Um She's fully recovered now and playing for her national team, but it was just one of those, like, I thought I knew what I was doing and boy, was I clueless. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had good people around me. Um, The league had a good resource. Um, So we got it done, but it definitely did not happen in probably one of the more timely fashions that it should have. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I would say on a day-to-day challenge basis is, that I think one of your other guests, Stacy, probably taught me the best is that you're not going to force athletes to do anything they don't want to do. You might be able to compromise and find a middle ground where you're both meeting 
your needs, your needs, what you would like them to do and what they think they should be doing. Um, but even if it's an ankle sprain at the high school level or it's a hamstring or an ACL or a hip surgery at the professional or collegiate level, um, they're gonna do what they wanna do or what they think is best. So the, I would say the biggest challenge is figuring out how you meet how you meet them in the middle or what you know what you can give and what they can give to kind of compromise to get what you're both looking for out of the situation mm -hmm. um and especially because once you get that kind of buy-in uh i would say this happens i think it happens at all levels you know an athlete gets hurt um day two day three they're getting really mopey and kind of sad about how they're hurt they're missing practices you know whether that they're worried about financial or long-term or short-term or um, any of those things. Eventually, I, think, I feel like around day four or five, as you start working with them and they start feeling better, eventually one day a kind of a light switch flicks for flicks on for lack of a better, uh, lack of a better description. And all of a sudden they turn the corner and start feeling better. So the quicker you can kind of compromise and get them through that kind of initial phase of like you know yeah you got hurt but we're gonna it's gonna be okay you're gonna get better and um as soon as you can kind of get over that hill a little bit i think that once they especially once they turn that corner um your life gets way better for both of you mm -hmm. quite honestly well and you've given two good examples there are some of the challenges that are completely different one is from the administrative uh, paperwork side of things and the other one's from just some of the relational aspect of working with a player it's it's great that you brought those up because those are just things you learn once you're thrown into the fire. They're the things you learn once you're in the middle of it because, you know, they might briefly touch on some of that stuff in, in our education, but you're never really going to know how to deal with either of those until you're actually in it. No, I mean, definitely not. I mean, I had one in undergrad. I learned, I took one class on, we had one semester on organization and administration, which covered you know, documentation and um, insurance and all those things. But I mean, yeah, it's totally different once you're in the fire and, you know, when coaches, GMs, players, you know, insurance companies are calling, you got players' bills going to collection. So you got collectors calling, you know, there's just so many ways it can go wrong. Um, but you have to do everything in your power to make sure that it doesn't go wrong and doesn't go wrong as quick as possible. And then once you learn how the system works, uh, kind of becoming more efficient at it so that you avoid some of the bigger disasters. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side of that, just so we don't scare everybody off from being an athletic trainer, um, what are what are the rewards of the job? You know, what, you know, at the end of the day or the end of the season, you look back and go, okay, that that was worth it. Some of the, the challenges or the difficult times or the hurdles I had to get over are all worth it because of this. Sure. I think, I mean, I would say there's probably two of two really big rewards that I think uh, come with the job. And one is just seeing your athletes be successful. Um, I know that we've talked about how, you know, success and performance is uh, interconnected, whether that's like your high performance director, your strength conditioning coach, nutrition, um, your video guy, you know, that whole kind of 
backroom staff that's not your coaching slash technical staff. Um, we kind of operate in the shadows. Um, and so building good relationships with your athletes, I kind of lost myself in that. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> building the relationships you get to build with your athletes um, and getting to see them be successful at what they love um, is, I think, probably the biggest perk of the job and knowing that you contributed to that success. Um, I remember there was like an ad in the early to mid 2000s where the Gatorade put out that said, uh, one day my star athlete's going to run to the TV screen and shout into it. I'd like to thank my athletic trainer instead of like, thank you, mom, or thank you, God, or whatever. And mm -hmm. uh, I think if you're in it for that reason, that's never going to happen. But, um, you know, the player scoring a goal or your goalkeeper making big saves or you know, just getting back into training and having them train every day and be happy and um, be successful at what they love, I think is, and knowing that you contributed to that. Um, I like to, I like to know that I contributed to that without the outdoor, like interview, uh, outdoor, uh, like the outward professional, uh, I don't need to get shouted out on Twitter or on Facebook, or I don't want to be interviewed about it. I just want to know that I contributed to that. And now they're back being successful with what they love. And that's um, probably the best part of that for me. Mm -hmm. And you've, you know, you, you helped me transition a little bit here because you're already talking about success as the individual and within the, the playing staff. So, you know, the purpose of this, this um, podcast is to look at high performance, to look at success and what that is and how we measure it and how different people measure it within organizations. So, you know, you might have mentioned this quite a bit already, but for you as an individual, you know, what is success? Like, is it bringing players back from injury? Is it mitigating injury? Is it winning games? You know, just as an individual, we're going to talk about your role within the club soon, but you as, you know, Josh Williams, athletic trainer for this team, this is how I know I'm successful. Sure. Um, to me, um, I think there's some little wins I get on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I think if you're always looking for the big win, you know, like decreasing your injury numbers or um, preventing injuries, as multifactorial as that is, um, I looked for some of the little wins on a day-to-day -day basis, which some people might think is dumb, but I think if you're always looking at the big picture, um, you kind of get lost in the day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. So for me, I look at little things on a day-to-day -day basis as I'm taping, you know, whether it's game day or just a practice day, like, did they get blisters? No. Cool. That was, a, that was a win for today. You know, like I've been doing this for almost 10 years I've been certified and yeah, I should be pretty good at taping by this point, but you know, every athlete's different, every foot's different, everything changes on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah, today was a good day because someone didn't get a blister from their tape job yeah. or today was a good day because I taught someone, you know, a little bit more about their body and I alleviated a little bit of their pain. Um, I don't know that I have like a big, you know, ideally, yeah, no, no one ever getting injured would be a huge, you know, like a huge, 
huge success in my world, but I think it's unrealistic to expect that. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, for me, I think, you know, getting players back in your quote unquote predetermined timelines, you know, we talk about, you know, hamstrings taking four to six weeks and, you know, maybe it's six to eight weeks, but if I get them back in that timeline or a little bit before when it comes to rehabbing injuries, then that's a little bit of a win. And especially if they don't have a re-injury, you know, that's a double win. Um, you know, so I think you can measure success a lot of little different ways. Um, but yeah, I think for me, trying to just do a, like the little things right every single day kind of builds into just an overall greater success. You know, like I said, did no one got blisters from my tape job today? That was a win for today. You know, no one, you know, so-and-so got a little bit better on the alter G or their hamstring strength's a little bit better or their knees hurt a little bit less today. Uh, it might be worse tomorrow, but you know what? Today it was better. So today was a good day. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes complete sense. And, and now looking at it more from the club point of view, uh, if you were asked, you know, was your club successful? You know, any of the clubs you've been at at the end of the season, you know, for example, uh, your, your last season, you, you were with the team that made the semifinals were inches away from making the final you know, do you qualify that season as a success or are you one of those that goes, no, got to win the league, have to win championships, trophies. I'm really curious to see from the perspective of an athletic trainer, what um, you consider successful from uh, your organization's point of view. So that's funny. My first, uh, first few years after grad school, I won a lot of trophies. (laughs) Um, when I was in the, when I was at the collegiate level, we went to a bowl game. We won the bowl. We won the fight hunger bowl. Um, I was then I went to another collegiate level and we won the division that year, um, or won our conference that year. Uh, and then my first year in the NWSL, we won the league. Hmm. Um, so I was like, man, this is great. You just win all the time. And then those. I mean, the collegiate setting, I was working a lot of football, so um, I didn't really consider, to me, I guess in all sports, but especially in those collision contact sports, primarily American football, you know, saying that you're going to have no injuries, you're out of your mind if you think that's the case. So to me, injuries were just a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um I would say more lately, I don't necessarily quantify trophies with being successful. Um, I would say it's more about healthy athletes being available for games, which I know is something that you and I have talked about a lot. Um, Stacy and I have talked about a lot. I think most of the guests you've had on here and probably will have on here, we'll talk about this a lot is that, um, successful or healthy athletes win games healthy teams win games um when your starters are available you're more likely to win Mm -hmm. i mean you brought them in for a reason so if the more you can have your starting players healthy and available and performing at their best whatever that is on a given day whether that's what they're being asked to do or not what they're being asked to do but um I would say that is more, you know, you're going to contribute to the overall success 
of the organization that way. Um, it's not always about winning trophies. Yeah, it's great to win trophies. Like I said, I was, I don't know a lot of people that could say they went from trophy to trophy to trophy the first, their first three years. Mm -hmm. um, I was quite surprised by it, honestly. Um, and especially since then, I haven't won a single trophy. So I, to quantify success on trophies is not a good place for me personally to do it. But uh, yeah, healthy, available athletes is how I would define success. Well, I think it, you're, you know, in your explanation, you're just showing that it changes. It changes from year to year. You know, as you're, you know, as you progress through your career, you know, it might have been trophies at the start or winning games then it might have progressed to, you know, keeping players healthy and available for matches. Um, but then who knows, it might change again at some point. Um, that kind of brings me to my next question. You know, other stakeholders within organizations you've worked at, do you think they share that same belief? You know, if I went to a, a, a head coach at the end of the year and said, hey, you know, your team was very healthy um, most of the year. Did you have a successful year? Do you think the head coach would agree or do you think they would go, well, no, we lost in the first round of the playoffs. It wasn't successful. Like where, you know, it's important to understand that different people within organizations have different views on success. Do you think that others would share that same view that you have? No, <laughs> no not even, not even a little bit. Um, not, no, not even a little, not even a littlest bit. Um, Definitely, I think coaches, GMs, owners are going to view your success 100% on winning games. Um, my dad and I talk about a lot. It's not about what have you done. It's what have you done for me lately, especially in the coaching, the coaching realm. Um, you know, did you win a trophy last year? Did you make the playoffs last year? I mean, no. Cool. You're out. Um, even if you've brought the, you've brought growth and success of your program at any level, you know, if you're at the academy level, if you've brought people, you know, you brought players up to the first team and your club has, you know, sold players to other major teams and those players are being successful at those teams, like, oh, you lost all your games this year. Like, well, you're a bad coach. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, well, that's not necessarily true. What are we being evaluated on? And like you kind of how this started, does winning games mean you were successful? You know, if you're, if you're at the academy level or the high school level, you know, if you're, if you're winning all your games for soccer example, you're winning all your games, but your tactics are you put the punter for the football team as your goalkeeper and you put the fastest, most athletic kid on the field at striker, and you literally punt the ball deep, he runs in, <clears throat> he or she runs in, beats three people and scores goals, and you win 4-0, like, yeah, you're successful, and you might have an undefeated season, um, but you're not, other kids necessarily aren't growing and developing and learning the game at all. You built this illusion of success as opposed to being really successful. So I would say back to your original question, definitely like player availability is not something that, you know, I would say maybe your GM and people who, 
your scouting, your technical director, those people will care about. But will your head coach or your ownership care if everyone was available, but you lost all your games? Absolutely not. Yeah, and I think that that's an important conversation to have because you know we're not demonizing coaches. You know, there's a lot of wonderful coaches out there, but that's you know at the professional level, that's how they're measured. Are, are you winning games or are you losing games? It doesn't matter about the other pieces. Players might be happy, they might be healthy, things might be going perfectly. You're bringing young kids through the club, but when it comes down to it, you lose games. That's what they're they're measured on. That's what they get asked about in interviews. So I think it's important for us to take that into account whenever anybody's working as a support staff member. Um, yeah, we're focused on this and hopefully your measure of success of player availability is just a piece that helps the team be successful. Obviously we know through research it usually is. So it, it is all married together. So, you know, moving into the, the last section, I, I like to get a little bit, know a little bit more about you and kind of what makes you, you. Um, you know, you've alluded to some of this earlier, but I'd love for you to dive in a little bit deeper on it. Um, you're not perfect. You're not the finished product. Nobody really is. You know, we all should get better in every single area. But if you had to be deliberate and intentional about an area, you're like, you know what, this is where I need to improve. This is an area, if I grow here, I feel like I can make another step forward. Uh, what is an area for you that you think you should pay some more attention to? Sure. Um... I worked with you and Stacy, who I, in my opinion, are very good at programming um, and adjusting your programs on a day-to-day -day basis for, you know, the training loads, the training demands, looking at the big picture of the week, the month, um, being a little more organized and structured about the way you operate. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think either of you would dispute that claim uh, and I would happily debate it if either of you wanted to um, and I would say one thing for me is I'm not quite as structured that way um, my brain just doesn't for a lot of reasons just doesn't work that way um, but I think it helps and kind of it worked out very well because I could take your program and on the fly, I can adjust it very well. I think I do an, a pretty good job of adjusting based on what I'm seeing and what the athletes reporting to me during that like rehab program or cardio session or any of those things. I think I can tweak it to make it still uh, attainable, completable, um, and still get what you're looking for out of it. But in terms of like big structure, you know, three month rehab, six month rehab, you know, I think that's definitely something I could continue to continue to work on. Um, structuring, you know, exercise selection and making sure that I'm considering all the variables that go into every exercise as we're building out, you know, the week. And then do those, does that progression really take us where we want to go the next week? Um, and like I said before, knowing that eventually some point someone's going to turn the corner and your program's going to shift entirely. Um, but just having some of that foundational groundwork more established um, is definitely something I think I can work on. No, it's probably some an area that most of us can. I, I appreciate the, the kind words at the start. You know, uh, luckily I fooled you. Uh, and <laughs> but it's uh, I think we all we all do our best at planning. But then, like you said, 
you plan a day and midway through it, you're adjusting, you're improvising. And then at the end of the day, you reflect and you probably are going to change your plan for the next day. It's a, it's a, nobody's got it all figured out when it comes to that, because you like, you know, humans are so complex and, and they're such dynamic, you know, beings that there isn't just some copy and paste thing we can throw on top of uh, any player. That's for sure. Yeah, no, um, definitely not something that you can just copy and paste. I think a lot of us start the same way, you know, like day one for an ankle sprain, you're going to start with some range of motion stuff. That's not magic. And that's not anything that I'm not telling you anything magic secret that nobody else is doing, but you know, does your, basically does your uh, progression line up with your goals, whether that's your week one goal, your week two goal and like you said, you might change and, you know, you, you thought they were going to be terrible and they walk in the next day and they're, they present much better than you thought. And you're like, okay, well, instead of range of motion today, we're going to start doing a lot of, you know, isolated strengthening and maybe some, some walk jog progressions that we, I thought we weren't going to get to till next week. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, like you said, the best laid plans are great, but you got to be able to 100% change on the fly and know that things can change in an instant. No, it's a good example. And, you know, moving on to the next piece, you know, whatever organization you're at, is there, you know, legacy is kind of a loaded word these days and it seems more important than it actually is because, you know, I don't believe that any of us are actually that important. I think we all play a small piece to help, you know, the team be successful, but it is important of how, you know, not that we care what people think of us, but I think it's important that when people hear our name, there's a positive uh, thought or a positive uh, words come out of their mouth when they hear your name. So, you know, when you leave an organization, you know, whenever that is, how do you want them to thank or remember you? I would say probably the one big takeaway that I would like people to think of me um, is that I was uh, light, like laid back, not uh, maybe high strung or hot, like hmm. that I was laid back, but didn't, not that I didn't care, but that you could count on that. You knew that I wasn't going to walk in the door and be frantic. Yeah. Um, but basically laid back and reliable. You knew that, you know, I was going to be there every single day. I was going to do what was asked. I was going to do the, provide the best care I could. So you could rely on me for that. Um, and I could do those things without being high strung in your face. Um, you know, maybe a great abrasive or uh, aggressive with either. Like those are things that i think I pride myself on and that's kind of my own personal style um and I just it, it's what works for me so being a little bit laid back um operating kind of in the shadows um like you know like I said not in the technical staff not getting the interviews any of those things but um doing the job the best I think I can um and then just knowing that you can count on me for that, no matter what, is basically what I want people to think of when they think of me. Yeah, and that's, it's good because every club has a wonderful mix of people. You know, there's 
high strung people, there's laid back people. And, you know, if we had all of one kind, that's when you'd have trouble, but you, you need people with your, your, your personality and attitude, because, you know, like for myself, I get wound up sometimes about things and to have somebody who comes in calm to the situation, it just kind of makes you go, oh yeah, yeah, I could, I could probably chill out a little bit here and uh, uh, think it through instead of letting emotions get in the way. And like you said, though, that doesn't mean it's, it's a, a lack of care or a lack of emotion. It's just, you know, we could all do a better job of controlling our emotions because it's going to help us think a little bit clearly. Yeah, definitely. Well, growing up, you know, all the different stops you've had, you know, living in different places, you know, you're, you're from the Seattle area originally. Um, is there any advice you've ever been given that you kind of held um, a kind of close to yourself uh, if you're in a challenging situation or you need to kind of reflect on what the, some big decision that, is there any advice that you still utilize to this day? Sure. I'd say I probably have two pieces that <clears throat> probably stick with me in the professional sense the most. Uh, one was probably when I was a senior in college, um, I was getting ready to take the BOC test, which is the big certification test that all athletic trainers have to take. Okay. Um, and one of my classmates from the year above, uh, we were talking on the phone one day and I was like, oh, I'm so excited, um, you know, to pat, you know, to take the test, pass the test, get certified, get out in the world. Um, and she said, you know, the biggest thing about this is you don't like pass the test and all of a sudden become a good athletic trainer. Mm -hmm which sounds like the most sounds like the most obvious thing right like you you're not going to know things that you didn't know before you after you take the test that you didn't you know like the test isn't going to teach you things or make you a good professional mm -hmm. um but for some reason you know as you're an, you're an undergrad and you're working with all these professionals you know mentors who have been in the field for 10 20 years you're like oh they're certified so in my brain like I said it doesn't work the best but it does work um I was like oh so once I'm certified I'll be good as any of these people in the room uh and just like someone saying to me you're not gonna you know if you're bad at shoulder evals passing this test and being certified doesn't make you good at shoulder evals. You're still gonna be bad at shoulder evals. You have to take the time to actually learn. Um, and that same person <laughs> uh, told me that, you know, the kind of along the same vein of this conversation that we were having was, um, you know, you don't, you're not gonna, you've learned through your undergrad what it, like the fundamentals of athletic training, right? Like you've learned that when someone gets hurt, the first thing you have to do is range of motion. And then you start doing some strength stuff, balance, you know, kind of that progression. She said, you've basically learned how to not kill people. You know, if something goes wrong, you've learned how to not kill someone and not make it worse. But now you have to go out in the world and learn through per professional experience and, you know, all the things that you're going, you know, places you're going to work, people you're going to work with, how to be a good athletic trainer. Mm -hmm. um, that is going to come from your professional experience, not 
all the textbook things you learned uh, as an undergrad. Those are definitely, like I said, the building blocks, but you, you have no idea how to do the job and how to be efficient at the job until you've been doing it for a while. I, I like that you brought both those up because we could talk for ages about it, but just, you know, the over-reliance on, you know, education or certification, but then lack of experience and then vice versa. People say, oh, I have all this experience, 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 but they don't have the, the educational foundation. It just shows you that they're both very important and you need them both. You need the theory and you need the practical. You need it, uh, the theory used in an applied setting. So I love that you mentioned that because we can't rely on one or the other. We have to understand that there is an art and a science to it. So it is very important. Yeah, those, that one person <laughs> brought me a lot of things and she probably has no idea about it. And she will, I probably, she probably deserves a phone call to let her know. There you go. Well, maybe, you'll, you know, maybe she's not in your plans, but my last question here is to raise someone up and it could be the person you were just talking about but is giving you know just letting somebody that you've come across in your journey know how important they were for any reason it doesn't have to be professional it can be personal you know i've had people talk about family i've had people talk about coworkers. it's just somebody that you want to take a little bit of time to to mention right now sure i would say um this person I've had many conversations with and you've actually already had her on the podcast. Um, but I would say Stacy Harden is one person that um, is one of, she's basically one of my go-to people when things don't make sense or when I have questions or when puzzle pieces aren't adding up. Um, she gave me that first kind of experience exposure in MLS, um, which has been invaluable and for both personal and professional reasons. Um, she's thoughtful. She, uh, she operates at what I think the ultimate top tier level is. Uh, I aspire to be maybe a two, one fifth of <laughs> as good as she is. Um, so I would say probably Stacy is one. Uh, probably I have a few friends that work around the country um, who I go to. Uh, Laura McLean works for US Soccer. Um, I call her when I kind of get stuck from time to time. Uh, Christina Miller was one of my best friends from grad school. Uh, she also keeps me grounded quite often when I when things aren't quite adding up for me. Um, Corinne Gaddis is one of the local high school sports med athletic trainer teachers here. Uh, another friend of mine from college um, who has taught me many things. Uh, I basically have just surrounded myself with uh, power women who I call when I get stuck and they somehow manage to bail me out of situations or keep me grounded or uh, you know, bring me back to reality when I need it. Well, that's awesome. I, I don't know all of them. I know Stacy, obviously, and, you know, I obviously think very, very highly of Stacy. She's one of the special ones. So it sounds like you have a pretty good group there, man. So I, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, you know, we're all busy in our, our lives doing how many different things. So I appreciate you taking the time, you know, 
all the best with what you're doing right now and you know where you're trying to kind of move forward into your your next opportunity so i appreciate the time josh and uh good luck with everything thanks man i appreciate you having me on and like you said hopefully someone learned something out of this <laughs> for sure thanks again yep thanks again for taking the time to listen i really do hope this podcast was able to help you in any way even if small if you really enjoyed it please share with anybody family friends Throw it on one of your social media streams. Uh, it always helps to spread the word. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.